guys, welcome back to Unclipped. I am your host, Imani Brown, aka The Spincess, and I'm so happy that you're here. So, um, today's episode, I got two like pretty heavy episodes back to back, but um, today is World Mental Health Day, um, and because in my previous episode, I sort of alluded to the fact that um, I've struggled um, with some mental health issues, I thought that this episode was appropriate to kind of share my story um, with mental illness. My goal, my hope with this episode is that um, we will become more comfortable with speaking about mental health and mental illness um, because as much as we'd like to say that we have destigmatized mental illness, um, there are certain diagnoses that are more acceptable than others um, in our society. So I hope that this gets us kind of gets the conversation going. My second hope with this episode is that if you haven't struggled with your mental health in like a sort of, I guess, moderate to severe way, that this will give you a little bit more insight on um, what it's like for somebody who has struggled um, with pretty severe manifestations of uh, mental illness. And then my third sort of hope for this episode is that if anybody is struggling that they just know that they're not alone in that fight and that there are other people who feel that way um and there is hope to get better so I just want to say as far as um what I struggle with I have like a lawn a laundry list of uh diagnoses um some more severe than others uh but each of them sort of manifests in a small way in my everyday life. Um, I have learned good coping skills and I have also come a long way um, because a lot of these things used to impact me very severely um, and I was not able to function at the capacity that I am right now. So the point that I am right now, I'm, I'm thankful for, but I know I have a long way to go still. Also, how about we do one thing, right? If there's one thing that we do, following this episode is we stop labeling ourselves as OCD because we like things neat or clean. Please stop doing that. Nothing grinds my gears more than when I'm having a conversation or or overheard a conversation and someone's like, yeah, I, I like my stuff organized. I'm so OCD about it. First of all, that doesn't even make fucking sense. You're so obsessive compulsive disorder about it. Okay. Second of all, if you do not have OCD, I promise you, you don't know what it's like to struggle with it. It's not that you want things neat and clean all the time. Um, it is a series of obsessions and compulsions, most of which do not make sense. Like they don't make logical sense. Um, so don't label yourself, don't label yourself like that anymore. Stop saying you're so OCD for liking things organized. You just like things clean and organized. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, if you watched my or listened to my previous episode, you know that I struggled, um, with my mental health, uh, throughout the abusive relationship that I was in. Um, I didn't really go into detail about what happened. So I want to use this time to go into detail. Um, but for the sake of this episode, I'm going to say that my big mental health struggles started in 2017 in the midst of that relationship I was in. Um, now, in in hindsight, I can notice things about myself throughout my childhood and sort of beyond that alluded to uh, me possibly having some issues beforehand. But I definitely think that the relationship I was in and the amount of... Uh, trauma that I endured, the excessive pressure, um, and lack of self-care, uh, heavily contributed to the, uh, sort of scale that my mental breakdown was on. I mean, I was a non-functional human at that point. So I want to kind of clarify that. Like, I think that I had some issues beforehand, um, but I was high functioning. So, um, 
they didn't present themselves in like severe ways where it was impacting my everyday life. But when my brain decided it was time for me to protect myself, um, it, it definitely shut down. As I said in the previous episode, there are parts of my life, especially kind of around the time I'm going to talk about that have large chunks missing. Um, there are parts where I can't even remember like that things happened at all. Um, but there are also parts where I remember very vividly almost as if like I am like in that moment right there right now um and one event that I remember very vividly was my first panic attack well now I know it as my first panic attack but um then I did not know it was a panic attack okay so it was April 2017 and I was laying on my couch um scrolling through my phone And all of a sudden, I started to get like tunnel vision, like the sides of my vision started to go black and like it was it was tunnel vision. And I never had that happen to me before. And so um, I panicked and I like jumped up off the couch. And when I jumped up off the couch, the room started spinning. And what I mean by spinning is like a severity that I had never experienced prior to that and never really experienced after that the room was like spinning. And so as I um, tried to walk to the bathroom, I was stumbling and bumping into things. I was falling um, and I began to get very scared. Um, so as I'm stumbling and falling to the bathroom, my dumbass ex um, is like, what's wrong with you? What the fuck are you doing? Like, obviously I'm having a crisis right now, right? Like I'm not doing this on purpose, but I go to the bathroom And I like splash water on my face. Um, That helps a little bit. So I decide I was going to get in the shower. So I ran the shower and I ran a cold shower. And at first I couldn't like stand up without falling. So I sat on the floor of the shower. Um, But eventually uh, I was able to stand up and feel a little bit better. So at that point I'm kind of confused. Um, I'm relieved that the event seems to be over. But I'm confused as to what just happened to me. Um, I thought possibly that I could be dehydrated because I was not taking care of myself at all at that point. Um, I was not sleeping more than four hours a night. Um, I was not eating things that were good for my body. Um, if I really ate at all and I was not drinking water, like I was not taking in any adequate amount of liquids at all, like not even soda or anything. I was not, I was not hydrated. So I decided I was going to go to the kitchen and take the gallon of water out of the fridge and chug the gallon of water. Now, I do not suggest that you chug a gallon of water because number one, you could die. I'm glad I'm still here to tell this story. But now that I think about it, I'm like, holy shit, I could have died. Um, Second of all, it does not hydrate you if you chug a gallon of water. You're literally just going to piss it out um, if you don't pass away. So if you feel like you're dehydrated, do not chug a gallon of water. Um, Anyways, I chug this gallon of water and I'm like, I must be dehydrated. Like, okay. So I feel a little better. I go to sit back down on, well, I changed my clothes and then I go to sit back down on the couch because I entered the shower with my clothes on. Um, that's how like scared and disoriented I was. So I sit back down on the couch and guess what happens? It happens again. Room starts spinning. And at this point, I feel like I can't breathe. Like my chest muscles got tight and I couldn't get a good deep breath in. So I run to the door. Mind you, changing my clothes meant I had on a sweatshirt and underwear. Um, I ran to the door and it was like a really crisp like evening I remember it was it was pretty it was pretty cold so when I opened the door like the shock of the cold air sort of like you know restarted my body again and my brain again and um I felt a little better after that so again my ex is like yelling at me cursing at me whatever and um I feel a little bit better for a small amount of time and then it happens again so at that point I am like, something is wrong and I need to get to the hospital. So I asked my ex to take me to the hospital and he protests that. He says, I don't need to go. Again, I didn't have a license or a car. um, So I was completely dependent on um, my abuser to transport me from point A to point B. So I'm begging him. I'm like, please take me to the hospital. Something's wrong. Like, I feel like I'm going to die. 
And at this point, I'm like convinced I'm having a heart attack, right? So he, you know, he says no again. So I decide I'm, I have to call 911. I can't just die in this house here. Um, I have to get help. So I call 911. The freaking operator was rude as hell. I probably was not helping, but they were rude. Um, and they, you know, they dispatch a, uh, some paramedics and they get to my house. And then of course, when the paramedics get there, he lies and says that he offered to take me, but I said I wanted to go by ambulance. Bitch, I had out-of-state insurance. I did not want to go by an ambulance. That was like a $5,000 um, ride to the hospital. I surely did not want to go that way. Um, anyways, so they load me up in the back of the, the, back of the rig. Um, and they're so fucking rude to me. Like, throughout this you know my mental health journey at my lowest point I met some of the nastiest people I've ever met in my life and um it really hurts me because while like my feelings aren't hurt I feel for the the person I was before because surely I was hurt then and I and I feel for the people that they possibly failed um by not doing their due diligence um with just treating people like humans so there were three two paramedics in the back and they treated me like shit. Um, they took my blood sugar, took my blood pressure. Everything was fine. Um, and then they proceeded to kind of badger me with the, um, how do I say this? The, they had already, they had already assumed they knew what was happening. Um, at this point I look insane. My hair is like matted to my head because if you have curly or kinky hair, you know that you cannot just go get it wet and not brush it. So when I got in that cold shower, I didn't brush my hair after and I like had laid down on the couch again um, and kind of rolled around or whatever. And so my hair was literally matted to my head. I looked insane. Um, They're asking me like, oh, do you drink? And I'm very much a rule follower. So I was only 20 at the time. So I hadn't drank. And so I told them no, they didn't believe me. Like they're rolling their eyes and stuff. Um, And then, and then they asked me like, they asked me, did I do, have I done any drugs? And I'm like, no. I have never done drugs in my life. And then they go, like, I'm a stupid idiot or something. They're like, you know marijuana is a drug. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. I told you I didn't do any drugs. So I'm getting kind of angry now um, because they're they're pretty much accusing me of, I think, having an adverse reaction to um, illicit substances. So um, they were no help. We get to the hospital talk to the triage nurse she's really nice tells me to wait in the waiting room I'm waiting there by myself I'm I'm alone um at the worst part of my life and um I remember feeling I felt that that heavy heavy feeling of being alone because not only was was I alone sort of mentally I was the only one knowing how I felt I was physically alone um and that's a tough that's a tough feeling especially when you don't know what's happening to you. So they call, they get me a room um, and they run an EKG. Um, obviously that's normal because I wasn't having a heart attack. Uh, the nurse comes in a few times and um, of course they ask me again about drugs. I tell you, I tell them I have never done drugs. But to their defense, when I took my urine test, my urine was extremely dilute. Why? Because I drank a gallon of water. So that didn't help my case. Um, it looked like I was trying to flush out drugs, but I was just trying to feel better. Um, so, you know, of course, at the hospital, they assumed that I had done some sort of drugs because my urine was literally clear. Like it was clear, guys. Um. Nonetheless, the nurse was was very nice to me. She wasn't nasty like how the paramedics were. So, you know, they come and tell me everything came back normal. Um, and they let me kind of rest up for a few hours. And right before shift change at like, it was like, I think it was about 6 a.m. They discharged me. Um, on my discharge papers, it was, I was diagnosed with unexplained dizziness. Um, that was the only thing that was on my paper. They gave me no referral to anyone. They gave me no points of contact. They gave me no help. Um, so they told me if I felt that way again to come back to the ED. Um, so I ordered an Uber. I remember I had 5% um, charged left on my phone. 
So I ordered an Uber from the hospital um, and I, I went home and um, my ex was sleeping, literally sleeping like a baby when I got home, was not worried in this life. I bet he hoped that I died, um, but I persist out of spite always. Uh, but yeah, I climbed, he was in bed. I climbed over him. He still hadn't woken up when I climbed over him um, because I was extremely exhausted. So now that I know those were panic attacks, um, if you haven't had a panic attack before, it is the most mentally and physically exhausting thing that probably has happened to me. I mean, I could have conserved all of my energy for the day. Um, I could have eaten well and, you know, optimized every energy source. But if I were to have a panic attack, I would be physically exhausted and need to go to sleep after that. Um, so, you know, I rested a little bit and, um, I didn't, I hadn't told any of my family. I did not call my mom because I didn't want her to worry. I mean, we're 700 miles away from each other and she already worried about me from the moment that she dropped me off, um, on that college campus. So I didn't want to make her worry even further because she couldn't do anything about it realistically. So I skipped my classes for that day. Um, and I, just chilled for the rest of the day. I felt fine. So I'm like, oh, that had to be like a one-off episode. Um, but then nightfall came again and it happened to me again. And this time, um, I was really worried that something bad was going to happen to me. So I decided it was time that I kind of let my mom know. So I called her like in the middle of me having this crisis. And, um, I was also arguing with my ex because he wouldn't take me to the hospital. Again, we're having this argument. And I vividly remember my mom saying, Imani, hand him the phone. So I hand him the phone. And I heard her say, if you don't take her to the hospital, you are going to regret it. Um, I don't know what she meant by that, um, but I believe her. And he believed her because he took me to the hospital, right? Um, so... We get to the hospital. I, I explain to them what's happening. And at this point, I'm having chest pain and um, like my arms feel kind of numb. And so, oh my gosh, then I'm like, I'm definitely having a heart attack. Oh my gosh, right? I was not having a heart attack again. Little side note again, if you suffer from panic attacks um, and you are having chest pain, you're probably not having a heart attack if you're young and healthy. Um it's probably that you were clenching your muscles so tightly that your chest muscles are like sore. That's exactly what was happening to me. But I was, I was like, oh my gosh, chest pain, heart attack. So they get me a room and doofus comes with me in the room. The door is cracked like half open. And I remember we were literally arguing in that room. He was actually verbally abusing me in that room. I was directly across from the nurse's station and they could hear what was going on and nobody stepped in. Um, you know, when they ask you that questionnaire, like when you come to the hospital with someone and they like separate you and they're like, have you, are you, do you feel safe in your house? Blah, blah, blah. That never got asked to me. Um, I never got separated from him, um, to answer any questions. He sat there the whole time. And when people step out of the room, he verbally abused me. And that was another way, um, that I think I was failed by, um, the system, Somebody should have stepped in. Um, somebody should have asked those questions. I, I have a feeling that's part of protocol to ask those questions. Um, but nonetheless, I was not asked those questions. And, and I was just praying that that was kind of going to be like my break out of the relationship, that somebody was going to hear what he was saying to me and, and intervene, but it was not. Um, so he's verbally abusing me. Um, and then the nurse comes back in the room and they give me what I now know is Valium. So at this point, they know, I think they know, actually, I know they know that I was having panic attacks, um, that I was suffering from anxiety. And like I said, um, in, I had not been diagnosed with anything ever previously. There's no history of, uh, mental illness in myself or in any of my close family members, um, that I noted. So, um, I, I didn't know what was happening to me. And I think anybody with three brain cells would know now um, that I was having a panic attack. It was literally like classic textbook panic attack symptoms. And um, 
they gave me something that is used to treat panic attacks um, and didn't really tell me what was going on. So they gave me the Valium. The nurse is so, so, so sweet. And she's telling me like, you know, this will help you relax a little bit. Um, just try to get some rest. So I get some rest as much as I can with this motherfucker on the side of me, like being insane. So um, I proceed to have multiple uh, panic attacks still after that. And the doctor comes in and he's kind of talking to me. I don't really remember what that conversation consisted of, but it was nothing productive. Um, and eventually they do uh, release me once again with no, there's no diagnosis on that. Uh, what do you call that? Discharge paperwork. Um, so I'm still confused. I'm left wondering. Um, I then go home to get uh, belittled and um, uh, it was explained to me by my doofus ex that I wasted everybody's time. I wasted resources because nothing's wrong with me. Okay, cool. So the day goes by. We're fine again. And then nightfall. It happens once again. Um, So my ex drives me to the hospital and he drops me off at the front of the ED and he leaves to go home. Um, at this point, they didn't even put me in a room. They put me in like like a room by myself. They put me in one of those rooms where like there's just like a bunch of people in curtains. Um, and like some tech sitting there watching us, I guess. I don't know. I was so exhausted from having panic attacks that I was like falling asleep. But then I would jump up out of my sleep um, because my heart was racing. And again, now looking back, I'm sure that to somebody working at the hospital, um, that could have possibly looked like I was on drugs. But if we take three days worth of drug tests, right, um, and they're all clean, wouldn't you deduce from that that I'm not on drugs? Jesus Christ. So, you know, I feel like I'm still being treated like they think I'm on drugs. Um, so this part I, I vividly remember this uh, PA comes up to me and she sits in the chair across from me in an effort to um, I think try to have some good bedside manner but it pissed me off um, because if there's one thing about me it's not that I don't care about bedside manner I think that bedside manner goes very far but personally if if you have good bedside manner and shitty um, medical professional skills. Otherwise, I don't really care what you say to me. You could quite literally drop kick me, but if you figure out what's wrong with me, I'm I'm fine. I'll be happy. Um, so her sitting in front of me, putting her hands on my leg and telling me that it's gonna be okay pissed me off. Um, she she said to me verbatim, "You're going to get through this." And I remember looking her in her eyes and telling her, I don't know what I'm getting through. Um, And I left that night without a diagnosis. Uh, I'm not sure how um, any of the uh, sort of advanced providers in my situation um, can sleep at night. I, like I said, textbook anxiety panic attacks. And the fact that I never got a referral to psych, never got a referral anywhere. They just t- told me to to come back if it happened again. Um, I had no guidance. I had no diagnosis. And they just let me go. The fact that that happened um, to me is is bad medicine. Um, and, I, and I stand 10 toes down on that. Um, every professional that was in charge of my care um, failed me. And it makes me think about how many other people they failed. And um, those people ultimately paid the the, the ultimate price um, and lost their battle um, because they weren't getting the help that they needed. In every situation that I've been through, I consider myself extremely lucky, extremely blessed, um, extremely privileged that I can talk about Jesus Christ. I was not going to cry. gosh I'm just really hurt um for the person that I was and I'm hurt for every other person before me and after me 
that uh, waited alone in in that ED um, and didn't get the answers that they deserved, didn't get the easy answers. And that's my thing. I, I think I probably had the easiest diagnosis in the place, um, but they still couldn't give me answers. Um, so yeah, I'm, I hold a lot of resentment, um, for all of those medical providers, um, for the system that allowed them to be that way. Um, and I hope that when I get to the point, um, to providing care of that level to people that, um, that I'm not those people who took care of me. All right. So at this point, I feel even more alone. Um, I'm left confused and I'm left physically and mentally exhausted. Um, I had some serious derealization at that point. I can remember like walking and then like watching people pass me and feeling like everyone else sort of existed in this world and like I not that I didn't exist I can't really explain it but it didn't feel like I was a part of this world um so that was isolating as well I on my own made an appointment with university health services um it's a clinic a doctor's office sort of set up like a primary care um office slash urgent care for students um and the the level of care that they provide um, to the students is is excellent. It really, it to me, the providers that were there when I was there at least um, are good examples of what I feel that um, high level medical providers should be. So I get an appointment, luckily for the next day, and um, I'm still convinced that it's something medical. Like I don't, I I, it hasn't even crossed my mind that it's something mental. Because like I said, I had no history of that and I didn't know that it could sort of manifest in the way that it did. Um, so the provider I saw was um, like my angel. I really consider her my angel. I remember when I graduated from college, I emailed her and I told, oh my God, why am I fucking crying? I emailed her and I told her that she saved my life and... She's the reason why I graduated college. Um, she's the reason why I sort of like fought through what I was going through. Um, because she saw me and um, she wanted to help me. So, uh, oh my God, stop crying, girl. You gotta stop. <laughs> I'm back with this issue. Um, so here I am crying about me telling her what she did for me. I don't even know what she did. Uh, when um, she came into the room, she we sort of went over my symptoms. Um, we went over sort of the how the past couple days had played out for me. And within minutes, she looked at me and she said I think you have anxiety I think what you were experiencing were panic attacks and that was sort of the breakthrough moment in my life I mean light bulb went off and um like I said that was that was the first time in that situation that I felt seen um the first time I felt um like I didn't have to go through it by myself uh, she told me we're gonna we're gonna get through this we she said we are gonna get through this um and surely her choice of words were intentional. Um, and she knew that's what I needed. Um, so, you know, she tells me that she thinks it's anxiety and I'm having panic attacks. Um, we, she reruns some tests just so that they have them there and everything sort of checks out the same. She tells me that um, she's going to prescribe me Zoloft. But the Zoloft will not work for two months. So I sort of have to be in this limbo for two months, um, which scared me. I also, I'm a big researcher, right? Like anytime somebody tells me something, I'm looking it up and I'm probably going to look it up for at least an hour. 
um, and to find out every piece of information that is known to man about that thing. Um, so I leave the appointment and um, I research Zoloft. I kind of, and, and I do this often too, I was like a weapon deer too. I'm not anymore, kind of. Um, but I kind of got disheartened because at that point it was 2017 and like that, you know how you can do like a cheek swab DNA test thing to see what psychiatric meds sort of like would help someone, I guess, with their DNA profile. Um, that was not readily available at that point. So we were at a trial and error uh, point in society. So I was really scared that I was going to, you know, fight through this for two months. And then Zoloft wasn't going to be the right thing for me because the risk that you take is not only no improvement, the risk that you take with psychiatric medication is, um, unfortunately that you might get worse. So that was scary for me. I called my mom and told her what the plan was. Um, and then she consulted with, um, my family therapist back home and she sort of was on the same page as me. She told me that I probably should start it, but um, she, you know, warned me that things could get worse and if they did to let somebody know. So I still hadn't started it. I was really scared. Um, but the APRN that I, that prescribed me the Zoloft in UK, um, like primary care student health, she also told me that I should make an appointment with UK um, student behavioral health. Again, like angels, they're godsends. I mean, they saw me for a person again. I felt like a human for the first time in a long time. Um, so I meet another APRN who specializes in psychiatric medicine and she, you know, she agrees with the, the approach of the Zoloft. It is a very old, old, old medicine. Um, so we know that, it works in a high percentage of the population. Um, but I told her that I was still having panic attacks, obviously, right? Because nothing was handling um, my panic. And so we kind of go into um, what my panic attacks look like. And it's not funny. It's kind of funny, like not ha-ha <laughs> um, now, but it was it was eye-opening then. Um, she asked me... Uh, what the duration of my panic attacks were. And I was like, oh, they're all day. And then she kind of looks at me really confused and she goes, no, panic attacks usually last between like one and three minutes. And we deduced from that that I was having thousands of panic attacks back to back to back all day. And that is why I was exhausted. So um, I told her that she could... I trusted her to treat me um, with the right things, but the one stipulation that I had was that I did not want to be on a narcotic. Um, I don't really have a family history of drug use or abuse, but if I don't have to be on a narcotic, I don't want to be on a narcotic. I mean, I think that sort of speaks for itself. If there's a way for me not to take a hard medicine, I don't want to. Um, so she put me on hydroxazine. Hydroxazine is my queen, my everything. Um, it's an, it's an antihistamine. Um, so it's in and out of your system and it helps with allergies, bug bites. Um, yeah, allergic reactions. So, um, I guess I discovered that it also helped with panic. And so she prescribed me that. So we schedule an appointment a week from that day so she can sort of see how I was doing. And from that meeting, um, I was made to think about what my future sort of held and, and how I had to move forward from here. Um, I tried to attend class again. I tried to do my homework um, and it was not happening. I couldn't be in a space with a lot of people without having a panic attack my panic manifested heavily socially um it was it was bad I mean like like little chatter and stuff would cause me to have a panic attack like if a bunch of people were like talking and it was like oh I'm going off um being in an enclosed space caused me to have a panic attack I'd be like I have to get out of here um so even just like looking at the computer screen and like reading a homework assignment, I had a panic attack, literally was triggered by everything. 
Um, so I decided it was my best interest if I explored uh, medically withdrawing from school. And that was a difficult decision, guys. Um, if there's anything that has been a constant in my life, anything that I've always been good at, anything that was my source of enjoyment, honestly, it was school. And um, to me, it really didn't matter if I was sort of losing everything else around me, losing myself. The fact that I was losing school, like really threw me for a loop. Um, and at that point, I couldn't see a return back to normal. Um, I had just decided that this was my new normal and um, I didn't know how I was going to move on. I didn't know how I was going to go on. Funny enough, when you have to medically withdraw from at least my university, um, you are required to meet in person the each department head um, and discuss why you're medically withdrawing. Um, so... Yeah, I kind of thought that was weird because if I'm having a medical crisis, why would I be having an in-person meeting with you? Nevertheless, I met with them. I think that they could clearly see that I was going through it. Um, I don't think I had brushed my hair, like, literally since I got in the shower that one time. And then I just proceeded to keep, like, not having brushed hair. I probably, like, brushed over the top of it. Like, the inside was definitely not brushed. Um, my face definitely looked tired. Uh, I, I just wore like giant sweatshirts and giant sweatpants, um, over and over. I looked like I was going through it. And if you know me and you know how I dressed in college and how I usually dress, like just on a normal basis, you know, that a big, a big sweatshirt and big sweatpants is not, it's not my thing. Um, anyways, yeah. So I was allowed to medically withdraw from school um, and I I went back to behavioral health to sort of discuss um, what was going to happen moving forward. I told her that I medically withdrew and my plans were to go back home to New York so I could try and rehabilitate myself. Um, we decided that I was not mentally stable enough to travel with just the medications I was on then um she didn't think the hydroxyzine was strong enough to keep me from freaking out while traveling by myself so we decided that the best course of action to get me home and rehabilitated was to put me on a controlled substance um because I needed time to let the Zoloft do its thing and possibly kick in um so I didn't really, I didn't really like pack much stuff, but, um, I went home. I think it wasn't May yet. So this is all happened within like kind of a week, week and a half of each other. Um, and I traveled back to New York city by myself. Um, and that was sort of the beginning of my like rebirth period. I remember getting home to my mom and brother. Um, and I know that when they looked at me, they didn't see, a person that they knew I know that they only saw sort of a shell of me um, and I can't imagine how heartbreaking that was for them to experience that um, but I'm thankful that I I had my family um, like I said before I mean I've been incredibly privileged and lucky despite me going through all the things I've been through um, I've been I've been incredibly lucky to have the support system that I have um, because they certainly provide me with the strength um, that I need to get through all the things that I've been through. So my mom and brother um, don't know what's going on with me really, but they are here to help me. Um, so that summer was, was really rough. I pretty much couldn't spend a waking moment alone. Um, somebody had to be there with me. Or else I would be like scared. I don't know. I was just scared. I would I would have a panic attack uh, if nobody was there with me. I was maxing out on hydroxyzine um, all day. Again, it's an antihistamine. So like no big deal that I was maxing out on it. Um, but I was also taking the Seroquel. I had some like physical like things with the Seroquel too. I'd get like brain zaps and all that stuff. It might have been from the Zoloft. Who knows? Who knows at this point, but, um, it was rough. I couldn't bathe 
oddly enough, I couldn't bathe like by being in the bathroom alone. Like if I was showering, my mom had to be in the bathroom with me um, because I guess the nature of the shower, like being this small contained space, like through my brain for a loop. And I multiple times, I just like bursted out of the shower and I'm like, I have to get out of here. My mom's throwing on her clothes. I'm putting on my clothes about to run outside, but I snake it pretty much. But, um, we had to get out of the house because my brain told me I had to get out of there. And every single time my mom just went along with me, my mom just did what I asked her to do. She did what, um, she thought she needed to do. And, and I can't imagine what that feels like as a parent to watch your child go through something like that and sort of be helpless and not know how you can help. Um, again, like my mom wasn't there. My brother was there like watching me. I literally had like a little babysitter all the time. Um, I didn't sleep because I was having panic attacks. I was always in a state of panic. I had clammy hands, clammy feet always. Um, most of that summer I slept in the bed with my mom and I remember, um, uh, sort of a, a period in time where I did not sleep for 72 hours straight. 72 hours. Like, that is so insane. I was just so unedged that I could not sleep. Um, and, um, you know, some nights were better than others, but they were they were all rough. And my comfort show um, was Law & Order. My mom would just turn that on, and, and it, we would watch, like, Law & Order marathons. Because um, that helped me forget about the fact that I was panicking thus reducing the panic attacks um so I kind of look at that time in my life as as uh a time that was special because um I got to bond with my family but um completely heartbreaking because I know they felt helpless and I know I put them through a lot um well rather I'm not going to say I put them through a lot but but dealing with the things that I had to deal with um and them being the family members that they are, um, they definitely went through a lot that summer as well. I'm going to say I wasn't getting better. Um, one particular instance where I had a panic attack, I had to get out of the house. You know, I've got to get out of here. My mom, me and my mom would sometimes walk all the way from like uptown Harlem to the very end, the very tippy, tippy bottom of Manhattan. Um, those were the only ways that I really could, uh, sleep at night is when I, exhausted myself physically so much that I had to sleep so we take we took a lot of walks that summer we drank a lot of water um because it was hot but um we did a lot of walking and talking and we discovered new restaurants um new things that we liked that summer um and it definitely made us closer if we, we were already really close but um it definitely created a unique bond that summer um, and I'm sure as, you know, as me being an adult at that time, she didn't think she was going to have to take care of her adult child, you know, but that's what ended up happening. Um, anyways, so one particular instance where I had a panic attack, I told my mom, we have to, I have to get out of here. We got out of the house and I told her I'm having a heart attack. We have to go to the hospital. I knew logically that I wasn't having a heart attack. She knew I wasn't having a heart attack. But she knew there was nothing else that was going to stop me from feeling this way but taking me to the hospital. So we took a taxi to the hospital um, and, you know, they admitted me. Well, not admitted me, whatever. They, I went to the ED. Um, so first, I was 20 at the time. Still 20. Um, and so they put me in the adult side of the ED. Oh, my gosh, guys. It was pandemonium over there. There were, like, people screaming. Um people had their gowns on and, and the, you know, the backs, like just a little thing, their asses were out. Uh, it was too much. It was for somebody who had, who had panic disorder too much. Right. So I'm standing up also while they're taking my blood pressure. Um, and so I kind of peek at the screen, right? It was 200 over whatever, but 200. Um, so I was like stroke level right um and they decided that the chaos that was happening in the adult side probably wasn't something that i should be exposed to so they kindly walked me over to the ped side of the ed it was like so chill over there there were like five patients in the ed at that point um the tech took my blood pressure again it was lower but it was not low it was like 190 over something so again like stroke level stuff and then they're like 
you need to calm down like you need to relax bitch yeah uh, no duh like if you if that was gonna do it then i wouldn't be here so if that pissed me off um throughout my journey i've been very pissed off not that i'm not already a person that gets pissed off easy but like be fucking for real you need to relax okay thanks thanks for that mom i'm in panic attack um but anyways they, they're like looking so concerned and they're like looking at me like calm down calm down calm down i'm telling them i can't they put me in a like like when i was in kentucky they put me in like one of those rooms with just curtains separating me and other people and holy shit was i overstimulated the fucking monitors beeping then the motherfucker next to me was playing a video game and it was just so much like ambient noise in the most annoying way that i my heart rate wasn't coming down. My blood pressure was not coming down. And there's like three doctors in the room at this point. And they're like, you have to calm down. Like that is dangerous. Like your heart rate's dangerously high. Your blood pressure's dangerously high. And I explicitly told them, explicitly told them that I need to be in a room by myself because the monitor sounds and the sound. And I, I said the sound of the motherfucker's game next to me. I was, my mom told me I was being rude, but turn off your game, put, put some headphones in. Um, but I told them the sound of the game and, and everything coupled together was like really irritating me. And so it probably was best if they want to see those stats go down. Um, if they put me in a room alone, they decided against that and they, um, called child life in there and child life proceeded to read me a story. She did her thing though, because the story definitely calmed me down and I had like a little stress ball and I remember it was yellow and I was squeezing it so hard that the yellow came off on my fingertips um, but that child life lady, like she was really cool. Um, I was able to take a little nap after that story. Um, but then again, when I woke up, my stats were up high because of the, all the noise around me. So they then decided to listen to me. Wow. And put me in a room by myself. What happened? My blood pressure went down and my heart rate went down just as I told them it was going to happen. Um, so the nurse comes to my room. She's like, Oh, you look so much better. Like your face was like white girl. My face was not white. Be real. But <laughs> I know what she meant by that. Um, and I wanted to be like, I told you so, but, um, I told them sort of what, um, I had been told in the past. I told them what medicines I was on and they did the thing where they separated my mom and I asked me the home life questions about if I felt safe at home, anything happened to me at this point, I had not told anyone that I was, um, being abused. Well, aside from, um, my ex's mom, I had not told anyone, um, that I was being abused. So any questions like abuse or anything like that, I said no to. So they consult psych, um, psych comes down. I tell them again, what medicines I'm on. They're appalled by the Seroquel. I was on Seroquel to like tranquilize me. Basically. Um, they're appalled by that. They tell me to get off of it immediately. There's no weaning period. They take me off of Seroquel cold Turkey. If you have ever been on Seroquel or if you know what Seroquel is, that is a terrible idea. Getting off of that cold Turkey was terrible. It was horrid. They want to see what my baseline is at this point. Um, they want to see if the Zoloft has started to sort of work. Um, so they also try to get me a referral to like some psychiatric practices. Um, but unfortunately, they inform my mom and I that every waiting list is six months long. Six months. Um, any affiliation, any you know person affiliated with them has a six month at the minimum six month long waiting list that was devastating to hear so i you know that day we left and um i went off the seroquel i remember feeling like relieved because i felt like we had an action plan but i also felt really disheartened because um it didn't seem like i was ever going to get my life back um and i didn't know what my life was going to look like after um after that so uh, you know, with that six month waiting list, we went to my family therapist and we sort of talked about it. And she told me, told us some connections she had in like the, like heavily psychiatric world. And, um, we said, we're going to call around and stuff. Um, but something that stuck with me that she said when I had that appointment, um, is you have to think about recovery. That's the only way you're going to recover. And 
I remember like leaving that appointment and I'm like, what, like, what does she mean? Think about recovery. I, I don't know what recovery looks like. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I can't see recovery, let alone think about that, what my, what that might look like. Um, I left that appointment angry, um, confused and upset because it was like, I, I still, now I felt like I wasn't being heard because if I was being heard, she would know that I can't think about recovery. So I kind of let that idea simmer like in me. Um, it kept coming up in my head like recovery. And I, and I then thought to myself, like, if I'm going to give myself a fighting chance, like I got to I've got to do something. I know that, um, you know, implementing little things won't necessarily fix the situation I'm in and won't fix um, my mental health in its totality. But I've got to do some things to sort of improve the prognosis um, for me. And so I said I was going to think about recovery. And for me at that point, thinking about recovery was just thinking of the word. Like I literally just thought of the word recovery. Every morning that I woke up, I thought of that word. Um, I couldn't picture what it looked like, but I knew what the letters were and I knew what it meant generally I just didn't know what it meant for me so um I started with just thinking about it in sort of an objective uh way and just thinking about the word recovery like I said before I'm an avid like researcher so I started to try to look up things that would um help me in um recovering and help me in my journey and I came across you know the the usual things but things you might not actually think about um being good to your body, feeding it, because at this point I was not eating. Um, and how can my brain get better if it does not have nutrients? It can't. That's the answer. Um, I began making sure I got enough water, trying my best to make sure I got enough rest. Um, and I would wake up in the morning and go to my yoga mat and do like little meditations and little stretches. I couldn't really do med- meditations for a long period of time. Um, I just did them for like two or three minutes to start out. Um, and then I slowly like increased the time that I would do it, obviously. But uh, like I said, I started implementing little things to um, possibly I didn't know if it was going to work. Right. Like I had no clue, but I needed to give myself a fighting chance. I also started to read stuff about panic attacks and I realized that my panic attacks were a result of like me panicking about having a panic attack if that makes sense so um because like when my heart rate went up I freaked out about having a panic like that was a panic attack I would have a panic attack so anytime like I um like I said would increase my heart rate or like my respiration rate would, would go up I would throw myself into a panic attack pretty much so my course of action at that point was to try to increase my heart rate without inducing a panic attack. So I had like this action plan that I set up for myself, right? So my brother and I got a gym membership and he's, he's the athletic one. So he didn't need the gym membership, but he went along with me. Um, He's one of my biggest supporters and I'm incredibly thankful for him. So we got a gym membership and I started to just walk on the treadmill and like I started at a, a normal pace that you would walk at and then I started to like pick up the pace. Um, there weren't many times that I could last more than two minutes without having a panic attack. But and I'd literally jump off the treadmill and run to the bathroom um, slash locker room. And and every time I, I left the locker room, um, my brother was waiting outside. Uh, he was waiting outside for me and and he knew it was time to leave every single time um, without fail. And again, slowly, I was building up my sort of tolerance for my heart rate to go up. I was building up my confidence in the fact that a heart rate spike does not mean you're having a panic attack. It does not mean you're having a heart attack um, and you shouldn't freak out about it. So it was a long and rough journey. Um, And throughout me sort of trying to figure things out in the like physical realm of that, I guess, um, my mom and I were just, well, my mom, not me. She was just calling a bunch of clinics back and forth to see if they could like squeeze me in if they had cancellations um, because we couldn't wait six months. I was still struggling really badly. 
So one day we decided we were going to sit in one of those clinics and wait. Um, And we sat there for hours and hours and hours. I think it was five hours we sat there. And finally, they had a cancellation. Um, And I was able to see a psychiatrist. Um, And I kind of hated her, really. So she was really, like, nonchalant. She was, like, monotonous. And I felt like she was dismissing me. Um, but now I know that while she might have actually been dismissing me, um, she was actually in reality empowering me um, because I remember telling her, like, I don't think I can go back to school. At this point, it might have been like like June or July. And I'm like, I can't go back to school. And she's like, why can't you? And I was like, Miss Girl, what? She's like, you can go back to school. And I'm like, no, I can't. Like, I'm, I, I can't. I still couldn't see myself coming out of that. I still couldn't see myself being a functioning member of society again. Um, even though I was sort of working towards that, I wasn't optimistic about what was to come. So like that appointment kind of pissed me off. Um, but I still proceeded with everything I was I was implementing and, and I continued to see her and my family therapist and I continued to try to implement things in my daily life that could improve um, the results of of the other work that I was doing with professionals. So eventually, I did get to the point where I could um, go back to school that next semester. We Probably like two weeks before um, the semester started, I decided I was going to go back to school. Um, and it was a decision that my family supported. They they told me if, if I thought I was ready that that I should go back. Um, by that point, I had stopped having frequent panic attacks. Um, there were probably a few days between my panic attacks at that point. Um, but every day I thought about that word recovery. I still didn't know what it meant to me. I still didn't couldn't see how I was getting out of it. But um, I was trying my best. So we decided I was going to return back to school. Um, and that's what I did. And the first semester, it, it it was rough because I was still dealing with like legal stuff um, from my ex and like him literally stalking me for a little bit and being insane. But um, I continued to get better. The Zoloft was sort of a good course of action, I feel, at the time. Um, and then I decided because I felt better when I raised my heart rate at this point, like I didn't freak out and have a panic attack with a raise in heart rate that I was going to start like working out. Um, and that's sort of, it's, it's, it's crazy thinking about it because, um, when I decided that I tried out cycle bar for the first time, um, and that's where I'm an instructor now, but it's crazy to think that in 2017 at like my lowest point in life, um, that's where I found, um, that bike and, the strength that I found on the bike, the um, strength that the instructors um, helped me find um, is why I feel that I'm an instructor now. Um, I hope that on that bike, I'm able to provide um, what was provided for me because you never know what people are going through. Um, you never. God damn it. <laughs> Right, girl. Dry those tears up. Crying in a club. Anyways, you never know what people are going through and you never know um who needs your words um at that moment, who needs that class. You never know how bad they need it. Um and from the first day that I took a cycle bar class, I was literally completely hooked and that space became um my space like exactly what we as instructors say when we when we um sort of give new riders in our existing riders an introduction to classes it, it the the room is yours and I really felt that and that um went into my little mixing pot of things that I I used to help me in my journey and used to improve my mental health, I got a lot of like my nervous jitters out by sort of expending all my energy. Um, So I kind of didn't have like the extra energy to have as much anxiety. And that really worked in my favor. Um, 
So it's really crazy to look back and think about where I was when I found um, Psychobar, when it found me and, and how full circle of a moment it is um, that I'm hopefully able to provide what was provided um, to me at the at the roughest point in my life. Again, you know, healing is not linear and getting through these things is not going to be just a straight path. But um, I never returned and I hope I don't ever return to the place that I was before. Um, although there were some sort of like, you know, little dips, um, I continued in my recovery continued in an upward trajectory and I remained intentional and I still to this day remain intentional about protecting um, myself and my mental health. And there is nobody, absolutely no one in this world that I will sacrifice my mental health for ever again. Um, if it is something that does not, um, that is detrimental to my mental health, I will walk away from it. I never want to be the girl that I was and I'm incredibly lucky to be in this position that I'm in incredibly lucky to sort of be on the on the tail end of it um because I do know that this battle is a lifelong battle um it's it's I will never be rid of of these things but um I can continue to work towards just getting better every day um and some days that that might it might mean different things on different days but the point that I want to drive home here and and something I want you to understand is that even when you can't see a way out even when you don't know what it looks like to be out of that dark place um you keep going um just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist um and and as long as you have a determination um and that little bit of fight left in you you don't need to be able to see that way out to to get it uh and I believe that through and through because that's the situation, you know, I've continued to to live in. I mean, through through my domestic violence journey and my mental health journey, there was no way I saw a way out. Oh, that to me, it was it was the end. It was always the end. Um, but in spite of that, I kept going for whatever reason. Um, and and here I am there. There's a way out. I want people to know that despite um, people maybe dismissing them, professionals dismissing them and what they're feeling, that there's there's some professional, there's somebody out there that will believe you, um, will understand what you're feeling and that will care about you um, or care about the integrity of, of the job that they have enough to um, try and figure out what's wrong with you and, and help you in any way that they can. Uh, if I would have given up at the the plethora of people who dismissed me, I would not be here today. Um, and I know that there were plenty of people who probably slipped through the cracks and, and are not here today because of the pitfalls of those professionals. But I want you to know that if you're going through this or you know anybody who is, there is recovery. And like I said, it's it's something that you will have to work on for the rest of your, of your life, but it gets easier. You know, I still, like I said, struggle to this day um, with a lot of things. In, if I'm being honest, every single day that I, I wake up, I struggle. Um, but it's not to the magnitude that I did. And because I've gotten out of such a rough place, I know, I know that there's always room for me to get better. I know that the potential for me to get better is is endless it's boundless um even on my rough days i can acknowledge that from a logical standpoint obviously mental illness is not logical um and so i sort of have like fights in my head you know my logical side and like the side that is 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 mess messed up you know um they argue a lot but at the end of the day i know that if i could get myself out of what I was in before, certainly, um, I can continue to improve. And if you are going through similar things that I went through or any, um, thing you suspect as a mental health struggle, um, and you aren't getting help, I, I, I promise you there's help out there for you. And I promise you there are people that, um, want to see you get better. And if there's nobody else, there's me, right? Um, my inbox is always open. Um, and,
if I can help anybody with anything, if I could provide a little bit more insight, I, I want to be there to help because I never want anybody to be in the situation I was in. And unfortunately, I know that there are probably thousands of people going through that same thing right now. Um, but they are not alone. You are not alone. Um, and a lot of us face battles that we, we never speak about. Um, but I feel like my due diligence is to um, be vulnerable and share what I've gone through in hopes that somebody can understand um, that there is hope to sort of get out of whatever you're dealing with. Um, so I just want to kind of leave us uh, leave us with that because I know this episode is really long. Um, again, even when you can't see a way out, you just keep going. It's one step at a time. And, and I say that to my my classes, my cycling classes all the time, one pedal stroke at a time, even if one day we're on the bike and, and, and I, I hear a speed push and you only get two RPM above your base, the next time it'll be three and then four and then five. And then suddenly you will be at an RPM that you didn't think you could reach at whatever gear we're at. Suddenly you will be somewhere that you didn't think was possible, somewhere you couldn't visualize. Um, you just got to keep keep moving one foot in front of the other. Um, and those little, little strides, those little, little improvements, they add up to be big improvements. Um, and you deserve to live a life, um, that is happy. You deserve to live a life free of a mental illness. You deserve to, um, live a fulfilling life. And we can all, we can all live that there's hope for all of us. Um, so that's just what I want to leave you with. Um, let me know, um, in the comments or, you know, in my DMs, what, what you thought of this episode. Um, I'm open to suggestions for following episodes and um, questions you might have at this point. I'm an open book. Um, and I'm, I'm always open to, to be a vent session for anybody. So I, I'm thankful that you all tuned in to this episode. I hope that I could provide something valuable to you. Um, And I'll see you all next time. Bye.